Hello, young money simplified listeners, and welcome to today's episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. Today, I'll be having Joe Francis, aka Budget Boss, on the show. He's a money coach and a financial advisor. I first discovered him through reading posts on his blog, and then I decided to bring him on the show as he had very helpful information. He tells us how to start investing, how can college kids save money, what his take is on financial independence, and what you must do to become wealthy, and much, much more. The link to his blog and personal website will be in the description below so that you guys can go check it out. Thank you very much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Good afternoon, Young Money Simplified listeners, and welcome to today's episode. Today, we have another guest on, and his name is Joseph Francis, a.k.a. Bajabas. So... He is a money coach and a financial advisor. Thank you very much for joining us. So I would just like it if uh, you introduce yourself and what you do and um, how you came um, to be. Well, uh, I'm a financial advisor. I work with Canada Life. And uh, so I've been doing this for about five years now, uh, just over four years. And uh, I decided I want to reach my clients and potential clients in a better way. So... What I did was I actually created a platform, Budget Boss, to actually uh, meet new clients and prospect and also get out sort of the message of financial awareness. Uh, So that was kind of the reason behind that. But it's been going for just hit three year anniversary this year, 2020. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, so I wanted to. Uh, start talking about money because many of your articles on your blog talk about money. So I just want to know over the years of being a financial advisor and money coach, what have you learned? Uh, it's funny too because I had an idea of you know what personal finance should be like and I thought that the ideas that I was saying were too simple and everyone would just be like, yeah, okay, I get it. But the lack of education is just so apparent when you actually start to meet people, even ones who actually make decent incomes or even ones. what the funniest part is I have clients that work in personal finance or they are like accountants or they are like uh, account managers for companies and manage millions of dollars and they don't know a first thing about personal finance. And it's, it's kind of interesting how people can handle money on a daily basis at their place of work or just in general and then have no idea how to you know handle a simple budget on a monthly basis so um over time i'm starting to see that um and when you look at you know uh, ig profiles or or facebook pages of people who do personal finance a lot of them are talking about just simple basic things there's a reason behind it because most people actually do not handle these things well and uh over time firsthand as a financial advisor sitting at people's kitchen tables, it's blatantly apparent that people have struggle with personal finance. And I'm just, I see it face to face on a regular basis. Okay. So, um, you mentioned like, um, budgets and stuff. So what, what should a student's budget that has a part-time job look like that is, um, ideal? Uh, very little of anything to be totally honest that's the the thing is that 
uh, always kind of puzzles me uh, so much is with because I was when I was in university I was broke all the time, uh, and I was broke for a reason because I just spent too much money on useless stuff and um, you know so I've come from the place where I actually understand how that works and what I did to cause that, uh, but it's just you don't make much money when you're in school so you just can't spend much money. So if you're making, say, $1,500 a month or $2,000 a month uh, part-time working, which isn't much money, and a lot of times it's even less because you're on assistance like OSAP or government assistance uh, for students, um, like student loans and whatnot, then you should really not be spending money on almost anything. It should be like food, bills, um, obviously you need internet and stuff like that, and then maybe a little bit of money for fun, but... It's usually the reverse. Usually, students and I know I was guilty of it too. Are spending, um, you know, more than half their money on fun, whether it be shopping or going out or or dining at restaurants or even drinking or whatnot, right? So it's you got to really, really scale down. And those who get out of university or college and are debt free, it's because that's the way they live during school. Yeah, that that free certainly is something that um, everyone should should aspire for. And um, since we're approaching summer, I wanted to talk about your article called um, "Things to Ditch Before Summer." So, if you if you'd like to go into that and explain part of the process and things to ditch. Well, I I think the big the big thing about it's like because I mean we're both in Canada, so we our winters are just terrible, right? So, uh, we can't really go anywhere. We can't really do anything. I mean, we can, but it's just not quite the same. Um, and the two things about summer that are interesting about summer is that we're so like today is going to be a gorgeous day, but we all of a sudden the weather turns amazing, and it's like okay, let's get out and do things, and you know we all feel that way. Um, Obviously, right now, during a pandemic, it's changed a little bit, but even still, people are trying to get out. You know, you want to go out, get some ice cream or go out and sit on a patio and have a beverage or whatnot. And the problem is it's twofold. We go out and we spend more because we're, we've been cooped up all winter, so we have the need to get out. And it's very hard to get out and not spend money unless you're just hiking on a trail or something. But then we're also probably making less money, too. Because chances are, if we're taking vacations or summer, we have time off in summer, we're not, maybe not putting in overtime. Some people don't get vacation pay. Like when I was a student or up until a few years ago, actually, I still don't get vacation pay because I'm self-employed, but I never had vacation pay in my life. Um, so if you're taking time off work, you're not making money, but then you're also spending money. So a day where you would have made 200 bucks, you spend 200 bucks that's a 400 dollars swing so what i what i try and get uh into people's heads is that you could actually like you know have a fun summer but maybe not spend as much money as you're spending or are accustomed to spending uh going out and whatnot and uh you know going back to the high school days where you have the bonfire in the backyard with a you know a 12 pack of beer or something is just as fine as you know going on the fancy cottage and spending a ton of money like that so it's difficult because we just get cooped up so long and we want to go out and splurge but summertime is it's ripe to be spending way more money than you have you know yeah and um for those of us who like basically never have done a budget and don't save regularly every month it's 
it's harder to get into the habit of, send, of, of starting to save and putting aside part of your paycheck. So what advice would you give um, those students and those college kids who have um, difficulty setting aside a part of their money into their savings account? So, so the whole idea, and this is, you know, when I wanted to create the name of the site and the social media, all that, the reason why I settled uh, on Budget Boss was because the budget is so important. And the reason why the budget is so important is that um, it gives you clarity of where your money is. So we all, it's very simple for us to get our basic expenses down, your rent or your mortgage, uh, your transportation, whatever it may be. If you, if you do have a car or don't have a car, there's some sort of transportation cost. Food is obviously a cost. Internet's essential and so is cell phone. Those are essential utilities these days. Uh, and then whatever hydro or whatever you may have, uh, those expenses, if you know what those are, and then if you know what you make per month, then you know what you're blowing on garbage. And ultimately, the big thing about it is if you know you make, you know, let's say $3,000 a month, and you know your bills are $1,500 a month, but you also know that you're broke all the time, then obviously something's not right. So it's it's meant to provide you with a aha moment where it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. So the big thing about it that people need to understand is that if you cannot control um, sort of your spending or whatnot, what you need to do is A, put down the plastic. So if you can't handle having a credit card, and I use my credit card all the time, but I pay it off. If you can't do that, then you can't have it. If you can do that, you can. So you need to understand yourself. But also allocate your money to certain places before you get it or right when you get it. So for instance, you you know, this is why the checking and savings account are so important because if you have bills coming out of your checking account all the time, uh, but then you're spending willy-nilly out of your checking account all the time too, when the bills become due, then you're not um, going to have the money there or you'll just be perpetually broke. So you need to push money into certain places before for you spend it and one of those places has to be savings now it's obviously difficult for students to get in this mode because chances are one you're not making that much money because you're uh, in school and two uh your expenses are much more because i mean i don't have tuition to pay for right uh i just have my normal rent and my normal things so you gotta like actually be cognizant of it so if you can automate that process where you know when you get paid or you know what you have uh, and then it goes out right away into your, say, tax-free savings account. I wouldn't recommend an RSP for students because there's no point. But a tax-free savings account right away, say 50 bucks every two weeks or whatever it is, then you can't spend that. And the biggest thing for some people is that if your tax-free savings account's attached to your bank account, it's in the same web portal, you log in, you can see it. Or even on your phone, like you just get your phone and see it. Oftentimes, I had clients that were putting, say, 200 bucks every month into their tax-free savings account. And then a few days later, they transfer it back into their regular account. It's like, okay, what, what was the point of that, right? So you got to kind of like, it's got to kind of be far away enough where you're, you're going to use it for the purpose that it's meant for. But sort of close enough, meaning that you've automated it where it's just it's there, it goes away and then you forget about it and you got to forget about it. Because if you can't 
act like it doesn't exist, it will never grow. It will never grow. Yeah, dipping into your savings is <laughs> something that uh, a lot of my friends do, and um, it's not the best practice, but everyone has uh, stuff to fix for sure. And you talked about um, part of creating a budget and um, looking at your personal finances is knowing your lifestyle and knowing yourself. So, and so part of um, knowing yourself is also just like not taking criticism and not taking um, sometimes advice from other people. Because and one of your articles say why you shouldn't care about what others think and how that could affect your money. So how could how could listening or not listening to other people affect um, my budget? Well, like the the it sounds very harsh, right? When I say this, but it, it's true because most people don't know what the hell they're doing. They just don't know what they're doing. So if people don't know what they're doing and you're listening to them, like I have people telling me, like this is what I do for my job, and they're telling me, oh well, that's stupid. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Like you're a cashier and you're telling me like investment advice i'm like excuse me and it's not an insult it's not like you're dumb or you're smart it's just you don't know what you don't know and things i don't know on a regular basis i am asking experts within my company hey like okay this is a bit confusing what do you think like people who have dealt with this for 30 plus years and this is what they do for a living they specialize in group retirement plans or health plans or the annuities or whatever it may be like concepts that they know the ins and outs of and I'm asking these questions every day so like for me for someone who's you know doesn't do this for a living and they're they're giving other people advice like oh well you know tax-free savings accounts are stupid or you know or RSPs are dumb or insurance is stupid and I'm like okay maybe maybe not but like everyone is completely different so the best thing you could do is understand your own situation and in all reality like getting financial advice from broke people is one of the worst things you can do the worst things you can do right because first of all like if you're aspiring to be broke then ask a broke person what to do right but if you're aspiring to be wealthy then why wouldn't you talk to a wealthy person it's like if you want to know how to fix a car you're not going to ask a plumber right so why would you do that like and everyone it's it's funny because a lot of people who don't know what they're doing are the first to give advice and, and it's not because they're malicious or whatever it's just people have a tendency to do that right and ultimately you should be taking in information but not taking in information in such a way where you're acting upon something that you hear and it doesn't mean that these people have a bad heart or they're trying to do you wrong all it means is that, you know, they have an opinion on something, which we all do, and it may or may not be the best thing for you. So that's why, you know, ask an advisor and don't ask one advisor, ask several advisors. Like, don't just ask me. Do your own research. Go on Google. Like you type in personal finance on Google, you get right. Like you don't you don't need to just ask me if I tell you something, listen to it and then Google it after and then check because there's going to be conflicting sides of both of it. But then if you could actually like see my side of it and then someone else's side of it and be like, well, I kind of agree with him more or I kind of don't agree with that, you know, and that's the thing. You just need to do your own research. And for me, the most important thing for me is like if I have educated clients, my job's so easy. I'm just like, yeah, here, you need some life insurance. Yeah, I do. OK, done. Right. As opposed to me trying to convince someone they need to take care of their family. 
you know, right? So getting, getting through the nonsense and cutting through the BS that is just not good advice is huge. And uh, I think if we take a little time and a little research, and believe me, it doesn't take long, like even half an hour to just, I mean, what, like we have Google, we're like, everything's there. The whole world is there. You can type in, uh, tell me about personal and then boom, finance will come up. You don't even need to finish your sentence and Google is going to tell you what you want. So yeah, that's, that's the big thing. Just don't listen to people who don't know what they're doing or listen and then take it with a grain of salt, you know? Definitely. I, one time I heard, um, I saw this quote or I heard someone say it. I can't remember, but it was, don't, if you don't aspire to be like them, then don't take advice from them. It's as simple as that. And, um, and so now let's just say we have all of our, um, savings, whatever, we know how to spend it. We don't spend it too much. How can we start growing that money? So usually investing is one of the a good means and an easy means. So how can I start investing? Okay. So yeah, we mentioned it a little bit ago, uh, about automating the process, right? So the hardest part with investing is starting. And the biggest thing that people uh, have trouble with is understanding um, what what it's all about. So the different accounts and all that stuff. And I mean, I recommend everyone just, everyone in my opinion should have a tax-free savings account. Um, but most people don't even know what it is. So understanding what the account is, and it's not that difficult at all. Money putting in, money put in grows tax free, and then when you take it out, it's not taxed on withdrawal. Obviously, there's limits six thousand dollars a year now, and based on your age, you can put a lump sum into it. But that changes if you're super young, then you can put less. I can put in the full amount uh, because I'm older, uh, but younger people cannot, so you have to know what those limits are. But beyond that, that's an easy thing to understand if you just take five minutes to understand it automating the money into that and then what you're actually invested in so a lot of people think that um their money will like double it won't it won't like if you can find me something that gives you a hundred percent return in x like i'm talking like doubling the rule 72 we're looking at like okay yeah five to ten years for your money to double right so initially your big thing when you start investing is that most of your growth will come from your own money. Like what's 10% of a thousand bucks? A hundred bucks, right? So what's 10% of a million? A hundred thousand, right? So if you get 10% every year, but you only have a thousand dollars, that's only a hundred bucks, right? Now compounding is what makes it grow. So next year you have 1100 and then 10% of that is more. And then that's a, you know, it's a fairly simple concept. But if you have a million dollars and you get 10%, that year you made $100,000 for no reason. Now the big thing about it is that, well, okay, well, I don't have a million dollars. Well, you got to start somewhere. So if at least if you start putting money in on a regular basis, you'll start to see the effects of it. Okay, well, I got, you know, a thousand bucks and then next year now I got you know 2400 and then the year after that I got six grand and then the year after that I got 15 right and it starts to multiply and multiply but what I mentioned before is if you actually just put it in and forget about it and then have the uh, regular contributions coming out 
what happens in the market almost doesn't matter. Now, my investing style, I, uh, I talk about it a lot. I use the Dave Ramsey theory on that. Uh, I try and keep it as simple as possible. For the most part, I only use four to six funds. Four funds if we have a long time horizon. Six funds if we have a shorter time horizon. We need to balance the portfolio a bit more. But it's not that complicated. I try not to overlap, and I try to make it as simple as possible. Uh, but if you keep if it, if you understand what you're in right away, and you just leave it alone and let it grow, it will grow. It just takes time, and over time you'll start to see the effects, and you'll actually feel pretty good about it. It'll it, like it'll inspire you to save more and more and more. But it's that initial. It's like working out when you go to the gym first two weeks. Like it's painful. It sucks. Like it's so it's terrible, but then like you start to get used to it. You start to feel a little better. You start to see a little bit of results. Oh, there's a muscle where one wasn't before. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, you know, if you don't get through that first two weeks or month working out, you're not going to get to the part where you have biceps. It just doesn't happen that way. If we could go work out for like 24 hours straight and be ripped, we all would do it, but it's not possible. So we have to get through the growing pains of it. And the part where you're like, okay, I still don't have much money, but you will just takes time. Um, it's definitely, I've heard that many people say it's all about that long-term, you know, it's all about decades in the future. And part of that is goals. So you mentioned in one of your articles that investing is not, is about goals and not about performance. So can you delve deeper into that? It. Yeah, it doesn't almost need to be a deep dive. Like, I'll dive deep into why I think that way, but it's quite simple. If you're achieving your goals, what does performance matter? If your goal is to save for a house and you need 25 grand to do that, and you reached your goal, then what does performance matter? Obviously, there's a time in between where you start and where the goal is, but if you're putting away the right amount of money, you're getting the right rate of return, and you set aside that money and you reach your goal looking for say again when i like doubling your money in a year it's just not going to happen and if it does happen you're in a position where you could lose that money so you got to figure that if there's a risk where a risk situation where you can double your money in the year the equal amount of risk is losing it in a year and that's what people they think like okay well i put you know a thousand bucks in this stock and then it doubles then I double my money. Yes, that's true. But it also could be chopped right in half or go down to almost nothing. And if we look over the past three months, how many stocks have gone down dramatically because of the coronavirus, right? So, and some of these companies go out of business forever, right? Some of these companies are not going to be around next year and they're not around right now. Even three months ago, they were profitable, right? So if there's that level of risk, uh, what risk are you willing to take? If you're going to take $5,000 and you want to grow it to $25,000 and you're putting money in regularly, would you be more satisfied with reaching your goal in a couple of years or potentially losing all your money in one year? So that's why I recommend people being fully diversified so each individual uh, event is not affecting you as much. If we go back three months, we saw major markets dip 30 to 40% in three weeks which is like the biggest crash in the history of the stock market but now they've climbed their way back and are almost back to where they used to be not quite but almost uh but at the same time though 
there was no real possible way of losing everything if you're properly diversified. The only way you would is if you actually um, put everything in one company or one stock. And the only way, if you are properly diversified, to lose all your money is if the world actually just collapses. So all the banks go out of business, which... If the banks go out of business, your money doesn't mean anything anyway. We're going to be foraging in the wilderness and looking for berries and baking our own bread on over a fire. Like, if that happens, then yeah, your RSP is at zero and we'll have a whole new set of problems. But other than that, yeah, the markets go up and down. If you're properly diversified, you will recover. It just takes time. So that's why it's not about performance per se. That's one aspect of it. It's about goals, and so many people focus on performance like it's the be-all, the end-all. But if you're reaching your goal, and you have a negative 10% year, but then the next year you have a positive 20% year, and it took three years to reach your goal, the time horizon was three years. What's the difference what happened in the middle? You wanted to hit this goal in three years, and you did it because you put your money in, and it grew the way you thought it would, but you waited the three years for it to happen. So and what happens in the middle doesn't matter. If you need a million dollars for retirement and one year you're down 20%, but you hit retirement with a million dollars, what does the performance matter? It's about the goal. And if you reach the goal, and that's why sometimes my best advice to people is just don't even look at it. Just put the money in. Don't even look at it. Right? Because the problem is, is you get too emotional. We get too emotional with it and we're just worried about the day-to-day -day with that when in all reality, these things will settle themselves. The market will settle itself. We have no control over it. What we can do though is control how we react and how we continue with our regular contributions and continue to not withdraw money when markets are down and that's the big one. Yeah, I've heard some of the, the best investors in the world say investing is 5% um, intelligence and 95% self-control. So it definitely shows if they say it then and you say it, then it must it must be true. Well, I'm monitoring and... my, my clients' accounts uh, during this whole coronavirus crisis and then dramatic drop, right? And it's scary. It's scary for me to look at their accounts. But since then, they've gone back up. So if they looked at it the day it dropped, they're going to freak out. Two months later, though, if they look at it now, it's almost back to even or back to even. And it's like, okay. So if you made that decision on that day, you'd be screwed, right? So if I tell you it takes a year to get back to even, you'd wait a year, right? If I tell you it takes a month, you wait a month, right? But that's the problem. People get so emotional with this stuff, and then they sell at the wrong time, and, and it just ruins everything. Definitely, definitely. And you talked about um, a diversified portfolio. And, you know, in stock investing, there's like... ETFs and mutual funds, which usually represent a diversified portfolio. So would you would you tell someone's portfolio to include ETFs, mutual funds, dividends, stocks? What would you say? What would you say for for an ideal an ideal um like student or necessarily graduate who has a bit of money to 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 put into the to the TFSA or investment account? Well, it just depends. I mean, I deal with mo uh, mainly with mutual funds, um, but it all just depends on the person, the investor themselves. Now, the good thing about ETFs is that they have lower fees, which is good. But the one thing that people who are new to investing need to understand is that fees don't really matter either when you're new to investing, because a one percent fee 
on a thousand bucks is ten bucks a year. So ten bucks a year for a one percent fee, or you could get uh, a point one percent fee, and it's a buck a year, right? So ten bucks, one buck, right? But you get what you pay for. So for instance, you know, if I'm dealing with mutual funds and the and the MER, the fee on the mutual fund is one percent. Part of that goes to me. Part of it goes to the company. Yeah, I'll sit down with you and I'll talk to you about your tax-free savings account and we'll go over it and we'll develop a plan for it. But if you're doing that with an ETF and you're just doing it on your own, you got to do it on your own. So it really just depends on if you're savvy enough to actually choose your right ETFs or your right stocks. And that, I don't recommend stock investing for novice investors because it can be very difficult to buy and sell at the wrong at the right time. In fact, it's extremely difficult to do. So if you're going to buy stocks and hold them, then do that. But the proper mixture, in my opinion, for someone who's just starting off, start off simple with something like a mutual fund. And the reason why, it can spread you out and you can get to feel the market. And that's one thing I want with my younger clients is to feel the market. Like when the market actually goes down dramatically and you start to, holy crap, I lost a bit of money. How do you feel? What's your gut reaction? Talk to your advisor about that. Like, hey, like this kind of sucks. I don't like this. Okay, okay, so maybe we're too aggressive with our funds right now. Maybe we need to scale back the aggressiveness. Or when they're up and you're on cloud nine, it's like, well, how do you feel? Good. I'm like, well, what if it dropped 10% tomorrow? Because this year before coronavirus, markets were up huge. And then right away, right? So we were up 10, 15% on the year until mid-March, right? And that felt great. And I look like a genius, but I'm not a genius, right? So all of a sudden when they go down, how do you feel about that? And people are losing their mind, but then what they need to understand is like, okay, markets went down a lot. Markets went up first, went down. How much are you down overall? Okay, so they're down 30%, but you're only down 5% because you took advantage of the up and the down. How do you feel about that? So you need to feel the market. You need to understand that, okay, your emotion, like you mentioned before, 95%, your, your discipline, your emotion is what controls your success. So I recommend for people, jump in, get several funds under your belt, you know, diversify a bit. I put a little bit of emerging markets, a little bit of Canadian, a little bit of US, a little bit of international, mainly European. Spread it out a bit and then feel what happens. And then as you start to, you know, get used to market ups and downs, and you're like, oh, I make money, this is great. Oh, I don't make money, this is not great. But then you see it recover, you'll, you'll understand, oh, I need to stay in this. I need to stay in this, okay. And then as you get a bit savvier, you know, picking ETFs, yeah, go for it, right? But you got to do a bit of research. And ETFs can be pretty volatile too. The big thing about ETFs that's volatile is because if they're into a certain sector, that sector can go down huge, 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 right? So even healthcare up right now because we're in the middle of a pandemic. But uh, transportation sector, down huge. Resource sector, down huge. So, I mean, you can pick ETFs that follow any sort of index or sector or region, but then that requires a bit of research. So you got to do your research just like anything else. I heard Jeff Bezos once say, he's talking about businesses, but I'm sure it applies to this. He's like, if your revenue goes up 30%, you shouldn't feel 30% smarter because once, you, once your revenue goes down 30%, then you should also feel 30% dumber. So just like, just keep yourself constant. Yeah, keep yourself constant and keep your emotions constant. Um, so 
when when you meet with clients for the first time and when you, when you talk with just general and random people for the first time, um, what are the common myths and confusions that you usually have to clear up and they come up time and time again? Uh, yeah, getting people on, on like to really pay attention to what they're doing on a monthly basis. So a lot of people think that a budget is like a restricting thing. Uh, I think a budget's a liberating thing. It actually can provide you clarity and you can direct. So some people think like, oh, I'm going to be on a budget. I'm not going to be able to drink a beer. It's like, no, you could drink a beer, put it in the budget. You spend 50 bucks a week on beer, put it in the budget. And when I give people their worksheet to fill out their budget, I encourage them to put a spot for you know alcohol or the theater or whatever you do, right? And just know that that's what you spend every month on it. Because if you don't, you know, there's nothing wrong with having things you enjoy doing in your budget. It doesn't mean you're not going to do them. It just means you know you're doing them and you know what you're spending on them. Um, so providing that sort of clarity and helping people um, get over the mental stigma of that. Uh, there's several other things too. Like people, a lot of people think life insurance. Like I'm very, very big on life insurance. I think everyone should have it, especially young people. And the big thing with young people that they don't understand is that they think they don't need it. Uh, fair enough. Maybe you don't have a family, you don't have a wife, but you also can get it dirt cheap and then you're going to want these things later in life. So why not lock it in now at the cheapest price possible and extend your health over a decade, two decades, or even till the rest of your life. You can get it's so cheap. Whereas like even at my age, a decade later, I'm 35. So if I got it at 25, it would be half the price I'm paying right now, right? So those there's no other form of insurance that works that way. Your auto insurance uh, declines as you get older. Life insurance increases dramatically as you get older. So like I have clients that are 21 and they pay $14 a month for $500,000 worth of term insurance, right? And it's like 14 bucks a month. Okay, like do you need 500 grand with your insurance? Probably not. But what you do need is to actually put that in place. And then maybe by the time you're at the end of your 20s, you're going to need that. So why not get it in place right now? Chances are you won't need it. God forbid something happens to you. It's there. But more than likely, you're not going to need it. But at least later in life, you've locked this in and made it cheaper. And it's getting people to understand like the dollars and cents behind it. Because they always think that unless this is like a pressing, urgent need, I don't need to do it right now. And I'm like... Well, what you need to do is set the foundation for what we're going to be doing a decade from now or two decades from now. Because you don't get to 10x unless you put in x. And the problem is with people, they think it's like, okay, I'm just going to start focusing on these things when they become urgent. And then you become 50 years old with $0 saved for retirement. So if I getting people to actually think a little bit down the road. And another thing about it too is that uh, a lot of people think Things are expensive. And yeah, they are. Saving money is expensive. It costs money. Like that's money you can't spend. That, mean, that means you're saving it logically, right? But it's also your money. So people think it's like, oh, I'm going to be putting away $200 a month in, into this. And it's like now I don't have that $200. People need to get over that concept. You can pay money every month towards yourself and your future. Or you could be broke. In my opinion, being broke is far more expensive than saving $500 a month. Because that's your money. 
broke is other people's money. It's going to it's going to other people. It's not going to you. It's going to other people, right? So getting people all the idea that's like, oh, okay, he's just trying to take all my money. I'm not trying to take all your money. I'm trying to get you to actually put some money away so you become rich, and then I in turn will make more money as an advisor from your wealth. But when you have very little money. I don't really make much money as an advisor off of it, right? So I'm trying to build wealthy clients along with help my wealthier clients maintain their wealth and grow it even more. But for the new person, new to the game, younger person, maybe just graduated or something like that, we need to set those foundations in place. And the hard thing for people is that they they don't see any results and they don't see any um, reasoning behind it. Like, I don't need this. I don't need that. It's like, well... Yeah, maybe it's you'll wake up tomorrow and you'll be fine without it. But 10 years from now, you'll wake up and wish you did it, you know? I personally, I haven't even considered life insurance. I didn't know. I didn't know it was um something that I should have looked into. But thank you. I'll definitely look into it now. And um, so young people's goals, money are the well, one of the goals they have is you know, reaching a stage of financial independence and reaching a state where you can start to 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 not um what can how can I say this to wiggle a bit with your money and to not have to go to work and or not have to um be um strapped by your work and constrained by your work and you have to depend on that paycheck. So, um, what is your take on that? And should people follow um and try to reach financial independence? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like uh, my dad just retired this past year and uh, I mean, he loves it. <laughs> you know, like his job was pretty physically draining on him. So he's he's obviously happy not to be doing that. But financial dependence is not it's not a situation where you, um, you know, you work. It's it doesn't mean you quit your job. All it means is that you don't necessarily have to work as much or if you miss work, it doesn't matter. And a lot of people think that retirement is like, oh, this day that you choose. Most people don't choose when they retirement. Retirement chooses them. They get sick. They get hurt. They're old. Like, not when I say old, I mean older, like in their late 50s or early 60s. And then their job just downsizes. And then what are they going to do? Go get a, they're not going to get a job paying that much again. It's very hard when you've hit 55 50, 55, 60 years old, you're usually at your highest earning days of your life. So what happens at that point is often companies will look around and see like, okay, we're going to, you know, chunk off Joe uh, package to retire, like go retire, get out of here, right? Because uh, we could pay a younger person half of what you make, right? So that means the company chose you, but they might not even give you a choice. They might just say, here's your package, get out. But what if you're not ready for that? What if you haven't saved for retirement yet and you, they give you a hundred grand, hundred grand at the age of 60 is not going to cut it for retirement. If you still have a mortgage, you still have all this stuff like you're, you're toast, right? So what people need to understand is that you can't get yourself into a position where someone, things you cannot control don't affect you as much. Like for instance, if you have money in the market and you've built up a certain amount of wealth and again, in March, the markets collapsed. Well, you don't need that money. You can wait for the recovery, right? Now, if it's money that you need, like I have people withdrawing at the bottom of the market because they needed money. And I'm like, this is not the time to take out money. They had to do it though. 
So that is their financial independence or lack thereof. So financial independence, like putting these things into place where you have cash on hand at all times, your investments are taking care of themselves, obviously with the help of an advisor. You know, you have insurance to protect in case something catastrophic happens. Uh, you're paying off your home or you've paid off your home. These are things that all add together to the picture of financial independence. And the sooner you can actually start attacking these things one by one, and that's why I have a process where I talk about seven steps to get to that point, um, then your life will just be dramatically better. Because right when March hit, and this is perfect to your point about financial independence, how many people within one week who missed one paycheck, just one paycheck, were talking about, I can't pay my rent? People were talking about rent strikes. People were talking about landlords not getting money. People were asking for mortgage deferrals, right? Banks jumped in right away and said, we can give you a six-month deferral. Uh, the government of Canada jumped in right away, injecting $2,000. Within two weeks, Trudeau was giving everyone two grand, right? So what does that tell you? That just tells you that people don't have savings. Now tell me financial independence isn't important because I know a lot of people, they didn't even need the two grand, but they lost their job, so they took it. But good for them, right? I mean, that's an opportunity to get, you know, paid or you're, or they're just laid off work or something. And then now it's sort of an extended vacation for them until they get up and running again. Like dental, dental offices are closed. So I know people who are dental hygienists who are receiving $2,000 a month. But the ones who don't have savings, it was a dramatic decrease in their standard of living. The ones who have savings, they're just like, yeah, I'll just garden and work around the house. So that's why financial independence is so important because if we don't take the steps to build up some savings, then something dramatic like a job loss or an injury or health, um, especially we're dealing with financial ramifications of coronavirus, obvious health ramifications of coronavirus, especially like if you've caught it or you have a family member who has it, like these are all intertwining into one right now. So we're starting to see the importance of actually having savings, not having debt and all that stuff. And that's why financial independence is so important. And if people can actually take the steps, then something crazy like this comes and yeah, it sucks. It's gonna hurt a bit, but it won't wipe you out. And that's the big thing. You don't wanna be wiped out from you know a virus, like financially, you know? You wanna be able to focus on what's important right now is staying sane, staying healthy, making sure your family's okay. You know, those are the things people should be focusing on right now. What we shouldn't have to focus on is paying our rent but we have to focus on that because we can't afford it because we have too much debt and we don't have enough savings as a society and that's why financial independence is so important because a lot of people aren't thinking along those lines they're not thinking it's like okay yeah why do i need savings like what am i saving for you're not you don't need to save for anything just save to save save so no one can ruin your life that's worthwhile, in my opinion. Definitely, yeah. And so for those who want to build wealth and reach financial independence, what tips and what steps would you tell them to take? Well, I would definitely, obviously, we've mentioned it several times today, like get on the budget, start to understand where your money's going. But here's another one, too, that I didn't mention yet, because I mentioned a few of them, obviously, investing, insurance, budget, important stuff to build wealth. Focus on making more money. And a lot of people don't focus on that. A lot of, there's this weird 
like, because, I mean, I'm born in 84, so technically the drop-off is 82 for millennials, 82 to the year 2000. I don't feel like a millennial, but apparently I am. But I, a lot of my clients are in between 20 and 30 years old. Um, and I, I feel like there's a, a weird drop-off of aspiring to make more money for young people. Like for younger people, I, I find that a lot of them don't, like they all want to make money, but they also don't, like they don't understand what it takes to make more money. And I, I, just, I just know that if you pigeonhole yourself, because the big problem with it is that the, the society we live in right now is there's a lot of jobs for people who are recent graduates. They come out of the gate making say $40,000 a year, $45,000 a year. You are going to have a hard time having a decent life making that little. Now, I'm, I'm not saying there's anything against that. That's a decent income, but you are not going to have an extravagant life. If you live in a major city, you know, you're in Montreal. I'm from the GTA uh, in Toronto. Good luck making 45 grand a year. Good luck, right? You're going to have a rough, rough time. So you need to focus on making more money as an individual. But the problem with it is that your 40-hour work week might not support that. That means you may need a part-time job. So if you're planning on working 40 hours a week and being wealthy, it's not going to happen. It won't unless you're some sort of boss. But the problem is with it is your chances are if you're some sort of management or you're some sort of CEO, you're working more than 40 hours a week. People don't understand. They think like, oh, rich people don't really work at all. Rich people work a lot, a lot. Chances are they're working all day, every day. They sacrifice time for money to get to that level. Now we see, you know, uh, rich people on yachts and stuff like that. Yeah, they buy that time off, right? But if you're working nine to five, 40 hours a week, more than likely you're not going to be wealthy. You're going to be in a middle class situation. So if you want to get to a point where you can go on the vacations on the regular. You need to aspire to upping your skills, getting a better paycheck. And if you can't do that right now, then pick up extra hours, right? Because you're only trading, you're either trading your mind for wealth or you're trading your hours for wealth. And we only have a certain amount of hours in a week we can work. I mean, I worked in restaurants before bartending and, and serving. And to make X, I had to work more. There was no like, oh, I, I was never going to get a raise. It was never going to happen. But I can work more hours and make more money. That was the only way it was going to happen. People need to understand it's like the only way you'll get more money is if you up your skills or you work more hours. And if you don't like where you are in your life right now in terms of financial status, like you're not making enough, you feel you're not making enough, which is very true. And there's nothing wrong with that. Understand that. Know that. And then aspire to get more. And if it requires, hey, I need to take some part-time classes 10 hours a week along with my 40-hour week job to up my skills so I can get a raise or apply for that new position at some different company, um, then you got to do it because there's no loyalty to you as the worker. The loyalty is you to yourself. No company is loyal to you. And people need to get out of that idea that like, oh, my job cares about me. They don't. They don't. No one cares about anyone, period. You need to care about yourself and you need to work hard so you make yourself irreplaceable. And even at that point, you're still replaceable 
but at least you're agile and you got skills and you can move. And oftentimes if you move, you'll be making more money because someone else, an opportunity that you didn't see arises and someone else sees your value. But you got to make yourself irreplaceable to the workplace in general, not just to where you work. And I think that's a, a big thing that young people need to understand is that it just gets tougher as you get older in terms of income. And if you get used to this zone of working nine to five and just grinding it out for a meager paycheck, you're not going to get ahead. You're not going to get ahead. And you just have to focus on keeping your spending under control, but always striving to make more. Because if you strive to make more, then you can do more things. And we all want to do more things. We all want to go on more vacations and Definitely. have a nicer car. And But like, do I deserve a BMW? Me personally, Joe, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't make enough for me to deserve that, right? But, you know, the goal is where, yeah, you know, hopefully within three to five years, it's like, yeah, I'll just write that check, right? But that's the thing, right? We need to focus on our day-to-day, -day, but then earning more as well, and then putting that extra earnings to work for us, you know? It's nice. So, so far, um, what have been your biggest challenges and how did you overcome them? So over the years, of it, since you were young to now, what, what were the biggest challenges in trying to save and trying to invest and trying to teach others and trying to do what you do? Well, getting out of debt was a huge challenge. It took me five years to get out of debt after university. And it was hard. Um, I mean, I basically went ghost. Like, it wasn't, didn't go out, didn't hang out with friends. All I did was work. And, uh, so that was a huge challenge for me. And obviously my position right now is pretty challenging. See, the thing about it is, uh, you know, I have to, and that's why the platforms exist. I have to get new clients all the time, bring them into the fold, help them with their finances, uh, get them the products that they need to be successful. So um, creating um, engaging content is a constant challenge. And, you know, it's, it's hit or miss. Like, and that's, and that's what I try and, you know, teach newer people to sort of social media and whatnot. Because I'm not a social media expert by any means. I'm not. In fact, I wasn't really on it uh, before Budget Boss. I just had a Facebook profile. It's just whatever. Like two pictures on it and me back in the day and then me more recently. But, um, yeah, I wasn't really on it. But the big thing about it is the discouragement that people have when they'll release a piece of content. Like I've written over 400 blog posts and then my first ones, no one was reading them. Like I could see the views. It'd be like two views. I'm like, Oh God. Like I spent four hours writing this. Like no one's reading it. It would bother me. Right. <laughs> but that's the problem though. If I could go up to the top of a hill and you know, have the best idea in the world that can make millions of dollars for people. And if no one's there to hear it, then what's the point? You could be the smartest guy ever and live, you know, in a dumpster by yourself. Then what does it matter? The problem with it is that we get discouraged too quick without results. And that's why, you know, and it ties back to everything. But like even with paying off debt, the first part is really tough because like you're putting $1,500. I was putting like 1500 a month towards debt, but only, you know, 800 of it was going into the principal of the debt because the rest was interest because it had built up so much. Right. So it, it, it's hard to continually throw money away like that. Right. 
But then as you start to see the numbers decrease, 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 and then more of your money goes towards principal. It's the same thing with like starting a business. You'll start, you know, you have this great idea. I mean, I thought the second I released Budget Boss, I'm like, yeah, everyone's going to call me. It's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah, I will be so busy. It's unbelievable. And it's like, oh, no, <laughs> why isn't anyone out calling me? What's going on, right? But it's repetition, right? And some of the people I've known my whole life who've been following Budget Boss for since it started have only reached out to me now. Like three years later, I'm like, I could have used you three years ago as a client, right? But the thing is about it's like people work on their own time. So what you got to do is just stay consistent. And consistency is very tough, especially during a pandemic right now. It's where we're trying to keep our routines consistent. I mean, I know my routine has gone to hell. Like, you know, I was going to the gym every day, waking up early. Uh, now I'm sleeping in a bit more. Like I was waking up at four or five. Now I'm waking up at like seven or eight. And it's like, which is still okay, but it's not what I'm used to. You know, I was going to the gym, obviously the gym's closed, so, oh, I can do the home workout, but I'm not. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where staying consistent is one of the things I struggle with. Um, but if anything, the one thing I am consistent with is Budget Boss. Like, I do consistently post and consistently put out content on that. Some of it's good, some of it's great, some of it's bad, but I'm constantly putting it out. Um, and that's the hardest thing for me is just finding the routine and staying consistent and then maximizing time. Uh, because when you're an entrepreneur, you know, time is everything, uh, time, money and time, right? But you can't, you can always get more money, but you can't get more time. That's the issue, right? So, you know, I can make more money, but I have to utilize my time properly to make more money. And that's the hard part about it. So it's finding that right balance. And that's sort of what I deal with on the day to day right now. Um, and if you talk to anyone who's a business owner, they'll tell you the exact same thing. Uh, even the, like the most successful ones, you know, I'll watch Joe Rogan talk to Elon Musk and, and Joe Rogan will just say, I was like, well, like, how do you have, like, you have all these things on the go. How do you have time to do this? He's like, you make time and you know, you allocate what you can and you know, like he's putting rockets into space and I don't have time to do some push-ups, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? So it's like, really, right? So I mean, there's always excuses to not do what we're gonna do, and that's the one thing I struggle with is like throwing the excuses out. Um, and from the outside looking in, someone like a lot of people come to me, oh, you do so much, you do so much. I'm like, I feel like I'm not doing enough, and, and that's the thing I struggle with right now. Um, so yeah, consistency, time management, those are probably the two biggest things. I definitely struggle with. Yeah, I saw what Elon Musk was like. Um, he's like, to all of you guys who want to one day build the next Tesla, he's like, what you got to do is you got to work 80 hours a week because your competitor who's working 40 hours a week, you're going to finish what he does in half the time and be twice as successful. So he was like, yeah, so it just shows that, uh, you know, he's just, he really finds the time. <laughs> 80 hours a week is, wow, wow. But what comes with that, though? You sacrifice so much, mm. like friends, family, you know what I mean? Like there's, and that's, you know, going back to, um, making more money is a lot of people are like, well, I, I don't want to get rid of my weekends. I love my weekends. It's like, okay, well, if you aren't working on your weekend, you won't be wealthy. Wealthy people work on the weekend. It's a fact. You, it's not a weekend for them. They don't live for the weekend. No, every day is a day. It's days and everything gets measured by like quarters months or days it's not like every week weeks don't matter 
it's days, months, quarters, years. Because weeks are structured in such that there's weekdays and weekends. And if you're working for the weekend, you're not gonna you're not gonna kill it. You're just not. And so as um as you said, you had to get out of debt, and then you had and then you started the financial advising, and then no one came to you. Now people are coming. Um, you you must have shifted your mindset somehow, right? Some people, most people say your mind is your greatest asset. So one of your articles was titled 10 Mental Shifts for Success. So I would like it if you name a few, if you go through a few, the ones that you think are the most important for um, college students and um, graduates. Well, obviously the one where they say, uh, if you're not in debt, you're not living. Like that's BS because I wouldn't have ever became an entrepreneur if I was still in debt. I actually had to sacrifice a lot of my own money to start what I did, uh, like a significant amount of money. And um, for someone who's not wealthy by any means. Uh, so you have to get in the idea because the only way I could shift into this career is if I was debt free and had savings. Because like I mentioned, at first, it was hard to get clients, right? It's difficult. So I had to get out of that mindset where it's like, okay, being in debt's okay, right? I had to shift that. Uh, the next one is, you know, working, um, the mental shift again, I mentioned it just before, but like having a limited amount of hours you're willing to work or what you're willing to do. And that, that will mess you up. If work needs to get done, you do it. And if you don't get it done, it won't get done. So that's a big one. Um, living for approval is another one and that's a huge one that i think young people deal with especially if you're on ig uh you see people it's like okay this is what i ate this is what i look like this is my dog this is my car this is the lake i'm sitting by right now like if you get out of that zone that zone is constantly it's like getting out of i want the likes depending on what content you're putting out though obviously if you're putting content out that's really kind of meaningless um, and I say meaningless, not as an insult, but like a picture of your dog is kind of meaningless, you know, like it's a cute dog. I like it. Right. But like, if you're putting out something that says something like, okay, like, you know, uh, something about personal finance or something about reaching a fitness goal, like this is how you train and reach your fitness goal, or you show how to cook something like yeah, I like that, right? But not like, okay, this is my burger I'm eating. Like, that's, they're two different things, right? So if you get out of the mindset of um, wanting to achieve, wanting to get approval from people for a non-accomplishment, right? And mm -hmm. that's a big one because we all want approval for someone for a non-accomplishment. Buying a shirt and looking good in it is not an accomplishment. But, uh losing 50 pounds and then buying that shirt and looking good in it that's an accomplishment right so that deserves a like the shirt that you bought does not deserve a like right so you know what i mean so that's the thing though and it's understanding like what what's what and and getting out of the mindset that everything's a show because everything you do in the background i mean so many people i know on a personal friend basis uh their social media life looks amazing like, oh my God. And, but meanwhile, like we talk and they're just complaining and, and they're, they're miserable. And I'm like, okay, we all go through being miserable. Like 
you know, on a daily basis, we're all upset about things, right? But, you know, none of us are going to post that. So when you're, you know, when you're happy about something, why are you posting that, right? It's just kind of like, you got to, it's either you, you got to get out of the zone where things that you're doing is to gain other people's approval. And that's a tough, tough thing to swallow, especially as an entrepreneur, because we always want people to like what we do, but people just don't care and they don't have time, right? So what is an easy thing to like? A cute dog or, you know, a good looking girl or a yummy, yummy food. What's a tough thing to like? Something that makes you think, right? You know, so that's a tough thing to like. So getting out of that zone and actually putting in the work in the background to make yourself in a better place. Um, yeah. And I think that's the one thing for young people that they struggle with is because the idea, the second you come out of college or university is like, okay, I got to get the job, got to get the car, got to get the house, got to get the girlfriend or the boyfriend, got to get the marriage, got to get the kid, got to get the dog, like get out of that zone because the, all that zone is, is an approval zone. You're doing these things because you want approval from other people to make you feel justified in the life you lead. And if you get out, that. Yeah. But if you get out of that zone and you just don't care what other people think, um, you know, then you'll just you'll take the steps to make your own life better. And then eventually everyone will see it anyway. You don't even need to show them. Right. And uh, you, you talked a lot about um, like in a following on Instagram and on the social media who who. So if we try to follow the right people and try to listen to the right people, who do you follow and who would you tell us to like look up to and what books to read so that um it helps us out yeah yeah so honest uh the first couple of books i read were the wealthy barber and the wealthy barber two uh so wealthy barber returns i mean the, tom chilton i believe his name is and uh great books great books very simple like very easily constructive uh simple things you could do to make your finances better now i, I don't believe he has a presence too much on social media but those are two great books. But my big one, when I first start, uh, got started getting out of debt, and it was before I joined the financial services career, uh, was Gail Vaz Oxlade. I don't know if you remember the show, Till Debt Do Us Part. And then there was um, Princess. Was basically, she helped young people and young couples with their finances. Um, so Gail, out of Toronto area, so she's Canadian, which is cool, like us. Um, I love Brian Tracy. He's Canadian as well, but he's more of a motivational, inspirational speaker. In terms of personal finance, though, like there's so many good people just on IG uh, alone that you can follow. Um, but like the major, major people, like the big ones who have big followings and who actually sell them millions of copies of books. I mean, I love Dave Ramsey. Obviously, I post a lot of Dave Ramsey and he has a whole family of people that uh, work with him, including his daughter, uh, Rachel Cruz. Uh, Anthony O'Neill is a awesome new guy. He his book, uh, Debt Free Degree, just came out, and I have it on Audible, audiobook, and I've yet to listen to it, so I got to listen to it. Um, haven't been listening. The gym's closed, so I'm not listening to my Audible books anymore. Uh, it's bothering me. But um, Chris Hogan, as well, is part of the Dave Ramsey family, and uh, his relevant or his re retirement system is what I modeled my relevant retirement system off of, uh, and uh, retire inspired, he calls it. And uh, so that Dave Ramsey family, all of them, Chris Hogan, Anthony O'Neill, Rachel Cruz, and Dave himself, amazing. Uh, Suze Orman's another one. She's more of a no-nonsense no, no one. Uh, I, I really like her. Uh, she's a power woman doing power things. 
Um, so those ones are really, really big ones. But even if you just hashtag type in hashtag budget on Insta, you'll see tons of people doing tons of things. And there's sort of like a little mini community of, um, of us that sort of follow each other and like each other's posts and ask each other questions and respond and whatnot. And there's all sorts of good ideas on it, right? It's just, uh, you gotta, you gotta search it. And the big ones are all there though. Like, I mean, if anyone is confused about anything, just Google Dave Ramsey and you'll figure it out because the guy knows what he's doing. Now, am I a hundred percent with him on everything? No, I'm about 90% there on the Dave Ramsey scale of love, but like how, how far are you going to be? I would, I've yet to meet someone that a hundred percent loves me. And if they do, they're probably crazy. Um, so you know what I mean? Like why would someone love a hundred percent of anyone? So you got to figure like, okay, if you can get the bulk of it and then put it together in your head and be like the, core foundation of ideas and that's all i'm trying to do is like you may or may not like me you know but the core foundation of ideas of what i put forth are sound and if you actually take those into consideration whether you like me personally or not doesn't really matter just take the ideas put your flavor on it and do your thing with it and that's all that matters so i mean yeah there's tons of great right now especially right like people are starting to become more cognizant and understand uh they understand that they need to work on their personal finance for sure these times that everyone has seen, like, if you don't have a savings, just you pretty much are very vulnerable. And um, I would like uh, to know what you would tell yourself, your 18-year-old self, or when you were in college, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself looking back? Honestly, I would have gone to university later. I would have taken some time off and saved up some money. Um, I don't think I was ready to go to school and I just jumped into it. Uh, so I would have just taken some time off, saved up some money, got used to saving some money. And, um, you know, I was worried that if I didn't go to school right away, I wouldn't. But looking back, like, it doesn't matter when you go, like your early twenties, it's such a tough thing for people in their early twenties because honestly, um, just not smart when you're in your early 20s you're not like no one is i was an idiot uh i shouldn't be there like trying to shape my whole future with these classes that i wasn't you know like i'm not absorbing this like my brain wasn't ready to be in that position and i know lots of people that went to school later and like maybe 24 25 or even in their late 20s and were super successful they got like straight a's in school master's degrees and i'm like these people are killing it right now and the big thing people worry about is that life is short. It's not. It's not. Life is short. It can be, but it's not. Um, it, life is long if you make bad decisions. <laughs> Very long. If you make good decisions, then life is short. Because if you're making good decisions, then you're having good experiences. And life is really good. Um, you know when you're having a fun weekend, it goes by like that. Right? When you're having a bad weekend, like... It lasts forever, right? So life is long if you make bad decisions. So if you can actually take some time to like plan out, like going to university should be planned out. It's not like, oh, I got into this school, I'm going to go. Like take some time and think about it. How are you going to handle your course load? How are you going to handle it financially? Of course. What jobs are you going to get after? Uh, what jobs, like you have your, you know, your number one, number two, number three university and then your safety school. Well, what's your number one, number two, number three job, and then your safety job, right? 
And if that's a safety job and you get out and that's all you got, then what are you going to do to get back up there? Maybe it means you go to college after university or go to college, then university. Like this is a constant thing, right? And what I thought it was like, I'm going to jump into university. Uh, I'm going to get a great job afterwards. Life's going to be gravy. And it just didn't work that way. And we need to understand that not everything's going to work the way we want to work. But if we're agile, we're quick and we make plans and we can adjust. But if there's no plan, then you don't even know what to do. Like you don't even know how to adjust. And so I would go back to my, you know, younger self and just say, make it, make a plan, dumbass. Like I never made a plan. I never made a plan for anything. I was like, yeah, let's figure it out. I winged it way too much and it just backfired hard. Yeah. Make a plan, make a budget. You should have a, a lot of stuff planned out, but obviously leave some wiggle room because you never know what happens. And um, I appreciate you coming on. The clock has uh, run out. So thank you very much for coming on. I hope everyone, everyone listens to this. And guys, there's a lot of, lot of good stuff here. So I hope you guys focused and concentrated. Thank you very much for coming on. And the links to his vlog and um, his um, advisor, financial advisor, and everything will be put into the link below, in the description below. So please, please go check it out. So thank you very much for coming on. Hey, Ahmed, thanks for having me, man. Stay safe out there, okay? No problem. Appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever platform you listen on. You can send me your take on any recommendations by sending me a voice message or an email. And don't forget to share with someone you love and on social media.